Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised. I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. I'm Andy Balog. And I'm Jordan Pine. Let's get started. Today, we examine a passage of Scripture we've cited many times, the Apostle Paul's Master Builder Analogy. Yeah, it's been a while, so we felt it necessary to revisit it in detail. Included in this one passage is everything a believer needs to know about salvation, how to live in the present, and what will happen in the future. That's why it's critical for Christians to hear what this passage is saying with spiritual ears. So let's listen now to the Word of God. First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it, because it has to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. That was 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Before we get into a topic, we typically follow the SPACE method. As our longtime listeners know, SPACE is an acronym that we created, which stands for Speaker SP, Audience A, Context C, and Explanation E. It's just a simple way for us to guide through a proper order of interpreting Scripture. As mentioned, the speaker is the Apostle Paul, and the audience is, of course, the church at Corinth. Paul is the Apostle who knew the most about the kingdom truths. He received the special higher teaching, which he called my gospel, from Jesus while he was in Arabia for three years, right after he was converted from Saul to Paul, and you can see that in Galatians 1. The church at Corinth was a church of backsliding believers, a church that Paul had founded, but they definitely slid backward. You know, they were perpetually at risk of barely escaping the flames of judgment, to use Paul's language from this metaphor. The best way to think of them, as we always say, was imagine a church in the middle of Las Vegas, Nevada, which is called Sin City, and imagine the sort of sins that threaten to corrupt them. Yeah, so for sure, the Corinthian church was probably the most carnal. And also you mentioned, you know, Paul said that this is my gospel, not to be confused with the gospel of grace. So two different gospels, two different good news teachings. And the one that Paul is specifically pointing out is a higher level of knowledge regarding our salvation. Moving on to the context, Paul opens chapter 3, 
of 1 Corinthians by excoriating this church that he founded. He laments that he can only give them spiritual milk to drink and not solid food or meat because they are fleshly and not yet able to receive it. So we see something similar in the letters to the Hebrews. Jordan, could you read Hebrews starting in chapter 5, verse 12? Sure. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food, which in the King James is strong meat. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's an infant. But solid food, again strong meat, is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And the senses thing trained just jumped out at me, Andy, because we always talk about spiritual eyes and ears. So yeah, absolutely. Senses, yeah. Absolutely. It's a spirit of discernment, for sure. So a couple points here on these verses, Jordan. Paul is saying the Corinthians, like the Hebrews, were stuck in spiritual infancy. And many today have this problem, unfortunately. So question, how many times have you heard teaching or preaching that is about the quote-unquote elementary school principles of our faith? I mean, it's, it's common. We hear that yeah. from the pulpit all the time. And many of us believed decades ago that Jesus died for our sins and have long accepted him as our savior. So, you know, again, why do we keep hearing the same type of sermon? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we've been saved from hell for most of our lives, right? Yet it seems that every other sermon today is trying to feed us the same milk. And, you know, while it's important to remember Christ's sacrifice, uh, particularly at the communion table, we should be moving on to spiritual maturity, as the Apostle Paul said. And, you know, even in the, in the communion service, I, whenever I take communion, I, I always notice again and listen to, um, you know, it's common to recite uh, in this same letter, as a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, during communion, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, and then I always hear this loud and clear, the Lord's death until he comes. Yeah, great point, Jordan. And you know, it's, it's key to remember that the early Christians were very focused on his coming, and they believed it would be soon. I mean, that was their mindset. So absolutely, we should live the same way. No one knows the day or the hour, but there are many signs that we're close to his second coming. Perhaps more than ever, I believe we should be eating and feeding the, the flock solid food or strong meat about how to live in a way that earns one reward in the coming kingdom so that, of course, that we don't suffer the loss of inheritance. I right. mean, that's, that's just a simple fact, and that's what the master building analogy is all about today. Right. So now that we know the speaker, audience, and context of our scripture, let's get into his explanation. And what I'd like to do, Andy, is let's break down the Apostle Paul's analogy verse by verse. But first, let's back up to verse 3 for a little bit more context and also sort of an introduction. Okay, so I'll read those verses for you, Jordan. Starting in 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another one says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? They're only servants through whom you come to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So first, I want everyone to notice verse 7, which says, Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. That's critical, and it's critical as we get into this topic, because 
We'll be talking about works and rewards for works, but first, we must always remember that we're ultimately nothing, Andy. It's God who does the work. We simply yield to his will or we resist his will. We do as commanded or we ignore him or deny his commands. Yeah, we're vessels of his service. Right. He's the energy. He's the source of everything good. We, we, we need to say that over and over again, because as we get into this discussion about works, it starts to sound a little self-congratulatory, a little about what I, what I do. And then you start to get that conflated with this false theology we have today, that you're earning your way into heaven or, or any of that kind of stuff. We know that's anathema. That's against the scriptures. So what we're talking about is something totally different. Even when we get into this second tense of salvation, it's still all only through the power of God and God's grace that we can even do anything that would ever be counted as righteous. Sure. It's like, for example, saying, well, I sing on the choir, and that's going to earn me rewards in heaven. I mean, if you have the motive of saying, well, I like to be the singer on the choir, obviously those you're taking God's gift and you're manipulating it for your own personal benefit, right. whatever it is, self-gratification. But if you really have you know, the, the spiritual mindset of like, you know what, I'm going to sing for God's glory. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm not going to pay attention who's watching, but I'm doing this specifically to magnify God. So, and you know, also to borrow an analogy from Jesus, from the gospel of John chapter 15, he goes on to say there that he's the sap that moves through the vine to produce the fruit. And of course, we're just the branches of the vine. So if we're down in the dirt, then obviously we produce no fruit. That's kind of a, a simple law of horticulture that you know, when we look at grapes, for instance, grapes, grapevines that are on the ground, for some reason, I guess for the typology in this instance, they don't really produce good fruit. But when they're lifted up on a post, then the fruit comes out, it yields a, a very, you know, delicious and abundant fruit. So the point I'm trying to make here, if we're up in the air and well pruned, we can produce much fruit. Right. You know, and Paul also used an agricultural metaphor here in this uh, lead into the master builder analogy. Notice verse eight, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, so planting, watering, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. So now we're getting to it, right? There's a reward for good works, and it's specific to each person's own labor. Then in verse 9, Paul switches, you'll notice, maybe you heard it, from agricultural metaphor, you are God's field, to a construction metaphor, God's building. And that's his primary analogy as we go into the master builder analogy. Yes, and that's in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 11. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, past tense, which is Jesus Christ. So again, he starts with a key principle here, Jordan. God has given him these abilities in his grace. It's not Paul's own doing here. It was by God's grace that Paul was able to distribute the teaching of Jesus Christ being the foundation of, of Christianity. God is the one who builds on the foundation laid, which is Jesus Christ. Yeah, as he states in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, the Apostle Paul, that is, it is by grace this foundation is laid through faith. It's not from ourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So Paul's foundation metaphor can also be viewed another way here, as you started to mention, Andy. You know, Paul also laid a foundation, or literally founded, and notice, notice these terms, right? You found a church, you plant a church, and they both jive with the Apostle Paul's agricultural and construction metaphor. That's awesome points. Um, anyway, so he literally founded this Corinthian church and many other churches, so you can look at it that way, but... He's talking about the foundation again. The foundation is Christ no matter how you look at it, whether it's Paul that was planting or founding and wh whether it's us individually. 
And just to make it clear, in any case, he ends the verse by setting up the image of a wise master builder, making it individual, and warning each one must be careful how he builds on his own foundation. Right, so we'll jump now to 1 Corinthians 3, 12-13, which reads, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So, yeah, there's quite a lot to unpack here, but Paul establishes, you could see here, two types of groups here. There's three positive types and there's three negative types. And the positive types, obviously, are gold, silver, and precious stones. And the negative types are wood, hay, and straw. Yeah, and just a little footnote, when we say type, in case you haven't heard that word before, it just means a symbol. It's typology, which is the study of symbols in the Bible. It means something that represents something, and typically you can run those types through the whole Bible and they'll be consistent. Yeah, it's God trying to create a visual for us. I think mainly so that we have a, a, a visual memory of the teaching here and that we can apply it to our lives on a simple basis. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of typology around metals in the Bible. We've talked about, for example, the bronze serpent that Moses lifted up to cure the Israelites from being bitten by snakes and how that bronze represented sacrifice because it was a type of Christ. So there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of studying you can do just on symbols or types in the Bible. And whenever you see one, pay close attention, and, and we'll see it even here today, because those symbols are consistent and they have deeper meaning. And if you even run the word, like let's say gold, for example, through your, your Bible's you know, search engine, you'll find a lot of other references that can add dimensions and depth to whatever you're reading in the Bible. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, you know, that bronze serpent representing, like you said, um, the sacrifice. payment of sin, sacrifice, judgment. It's very right. important to understand that it represents judgment. And there's lessons in there for us to apply in our lives to understand. So, you know, like you mentioned, the serpent is a type of actually Jesus with sin upon him, being judged with the sin upon him. So, But back to our lesson. So here we have three different, you know, uh, types of good works and three different types of bad works, which reinforces the idea from earlier that all are not judged equally. You know, we have this myth, Andy, in Christianity that it's just about getting past St. Peter at the pearly gates, right? St. Peter weighs the pros and cons, or maybe he has a book of some kind where somebody else has put it in a ledger, and you're either in or you're out. Well, yeah, I mean, for our listeners at home, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on a cross, we need to know that we are definitely in no matter what, regardless of what Peter might say. Right. <laughs> it's based on our faith, and that's predestined for another lesson. And, of course, that's, again, the foundation that has already been laid, and that's what Paul is trying to allude to here. And the second thing is the kingdom beyond the pearly gates isn't like that. I mean, apparently there are three levels. King Jesus, on his bema seat, weighs the pros and the cons, and then we're either in at different levels, which is, again, gold level, silver level, precious stone level, and possibly others, or you're out at different levels, meaning wood level, hay level, or straw level. Right. The point is not to label the levels per se. I don't want everyone to go around saying, hey, I'm a gold card holder or whatever. I'm right. trying to get a gold card. You know, the point is that Paul is setting up the idea that there are different levels and we should be aware of that. That concept is consistent also in the parables of Jesus as well. If you look at the parables about the master and the servants, of course, the master being God and the servants being us believers, you'll again see these levels. You'll see these levels of cities and stuff like that. So it's just that, you know, without getting too deeply into it, just understand that he made it three and three. He made different levels for a reason to show us something, and that is that there are levels of reward and apparently levels of punishment within the kingdom. And for our listeners at home to understand, 
Believe it or not, each individual item, whether it be gold or silver or precious stones, specifically types a certain type of teaching and doctrine in scripture. And maybe in the future, what we'll do is we'll have a lesson on that, just talking about what each one represents. And they are critical. They are crucial. So the type of ministry that you might be having now will determine what type of reward you get. And we're going to help use scripture to teach you guys and show you guys what the Bible is saying about those different levels. So, I mean, for sure, Jordan, good works have various levels and so do bad works. So, you know, the question might be, why is this important? As these verses say, our works will be revealed and they will be tested by fire on that day. And that day refers to judgment day, of course. Yeah, this is the day of judgment for believers that occurs after the rapture. And it shouldn't be confused with the glorious throne judgment of Matthew 25. Let's make uh, two important distinctions, Andy. So one of them is the glorious throne judgment, which you see in Matthew 25. At that judgment, the sheep are given eternal life. The goats are sent to eternal punishment, which means this cannot be a judgment of the saved, because as we know, you know the, no one goes to eternal punishment who is saved, right? That's impossible. So the glorious throne judgment is for those who will live during the Great Tribulation, and that occurs after the Great Tribulation, whereas here, the Master Builder analogy, we're talking about the Bema Seat, a different judgment. The day here in 1 Corinthians should also not be confused with the Great White Throne of Revelation 20, which is the judgment of the unsaved dead only. It's the unsaved only at the Great White Throne, not believers. You know, and lastly, Jordan, fire is a type of judgment. I mean, I think we could all agree with that. It always has been going back even to the Old Testament. It's God's, a type of God's fury, God's anger. And um, even in the sense of whether it be at a great white throne or whether it be at, in the furnace of affliction, it's God's way of saying, I'm going to burn away something that I don't like. And, and for instance, here with the master builder analogy, gold, silver, and precious stone, obviously, you know, has a different type of category once it's put in a furnace versus the wood, hay, and straw. Okay, so then moving on to 1 Corinthians 3.14, it reads, If any man's work, which he has built on it, it being the foundation, remains, he will receive a reward. So we see the key to Paul's analogy. Build with the correct materials, right? And you'll have something left standing after you pass through this test of judgment, this judging fire. Fire doesn't burn up precious metals and gems. That is, good works survive the testing of judgment day. And we get a reward for having them because we're able to keep them. Importantly, fire also can't burn below a foundation, right? It can't burn below the foundation of a building if a building goes up. So that is, even if nothing survives the testing of Judgment Day, it does not take away, cannot take away, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Yeah, those are great points, Jordan. So now we move on to verse 15 here. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. So, key points. Fire does burn up wood, hay, and straw, at varying degrees of quickness. Right. We understand that. Straw and hay go up like a kindling, I guess you could say, and they represent the worst of our meaningless works of self. Like, you know, well, uh, you know, I, I received a, a medal for winning a you know, karate tournament or what have you. I mean, that's all great and good, um, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't represent anything righteous in, in God, from God's perspective. Now, wood is deceptively sturdy, but as Paul says, its weakness is that it will become evident. And for the day will show up because it is to be revealed with fire. And at the end of the day, we know wood will burn. And again, there's typology there for the wood, hay, and straw, which I promise we will study in the future and will help break down what each one represents. Yeah, we can also just generally look at it as 
well, you, okay, you're building on your foundation, right? So if you, if you flow with the analogy, the foundation is Christ, and now you're going to put something on top of that. Well, you know, you mentioned the cry torment, but it could also represent doing something out of self-righteousness, out of self-glorification that you're claiming is for God. And we, you know, we know about a lot of these different things. We see them, perhaps we ourselves have done them. You know, you go and you do a good work with the church, inside your church, but ultimately you realize it was for, hey, look at me, my own self-glorification, or maybe you took glory from somebody for something that you should have given glory to God for. That could also represent these, these, exactly. plant, these burned up materials because sure. you're trying to build on your Christ foundation, but you're doing it with works of self instead of works of God. Exactly. And then, you know, in our lesson here, notice there is a consequence for having nothing standing post-judgment, right? right? Let's say I have nothing but wood, hay, and straw, and then that burns up and I have nothing left. And we see here that the foolish builders will suffer loss or suffer a loss. And this connects with the parables of Jesus, where he speaks of those cast into outer darkness, right. where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, an important point to remember is the unsaved will end up cursing God in hell, but the saved who lose their inheritance weep with sorrow. And you might ask why? Well, it's, it's pretty simple because they're suffering a loss. They're suffering the knowledge that they lost their inheritance, which is important. And a great type of this in the Bible is Esau. You know, Esau traded it to satisfy the short-term desires of his flesh. He traded his inheritance to his twin brother Jacob for a pot of stew. Right. And yet, they will still not, you know, go to hell. They will escape as one escaping a burning house to sort of, or burning building to keep with the Apostle Paul's analogy. They will be saved from eternal death, again, because of that foundation. And the building never burns below the foundation. Those are great points. I mean, kind of like the old saying, you know, they get in by the skin of their teeth. It's strictly by the grace. It's because Jesus paid it all. Well, we're almost out of time, Andy. So before we go, we like to always give an everyday takeaway for our lesson today. So really quickly, if you could kind of sum up, what do you think our everyday takeaway is from today's lesson? Well, Jordan, um, you know, we who believe must examine our lives. Are we building on the foundation that Jesus died on the cross for us and was raised on the third day? Or are we like the bad construction site that sits with the foundation visible for months and years? I'm sure we've driven by a couple of sites like that and have seen that. You know, are we attempting to build and what kind of materials are we using? Are those materials fireproof stuff or is that stuff that, you know, will survive the coming test of fire at the Bema Sea? Or, you know, another question is, is it all flammable stuff? Stuff that when fire comes upon it, nothing will be left behind. So, you know, how do we know these things? Yeah, how do we know? And uh, I, I would say there are probably two principles that I would uh, advocate. Principle number one is, is first to act. You know, we seem to be good at drawing up plans in life and bad at actually constructing our building, particularly when it comes to our Christian life. So let's move past the planning phase and actually take action is the first step. I agree with that. And then, of course, we have that problem of um, making sure that what we're doing is for God and not for our own self-glorification. So principle number two, I would say, would be to yield. You know, God must be the GC, if you will, the foreman of the project. And if we try too hard to be our own foreman, well, again, we're going to end up building with these materials that are flammable, works of self, versus if we take action while constantly listening to our foreman through his spirit within us, through his word, we'll build with the type of materials that are everlasting and earn rewards. Yeah, so in summary on what you're saying is we all will be at the Bema seat one day, all Christians will, and you know, if we happen to see, you know, there's going to be piles, I'm sure, of wood, hay, and straw, and obviously those are the times that we thought we were doing things for God, but really we had a motive behind it, right? right. Whereas when there's gold, silver, and precious stones, those are the times, like you said, where we've yielded to the Holy Spirit, and we were vessels for God, 
and we allowed God to, to have his will through us for his glory and the furtherment of his kingdom. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Don't forget to visit our website at 20mbs.org. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.